0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve him in a deeper way. Happy Easter, everyone. (laughs) It's so good to see you here. You look great and I'm so thankful, so thankful to have you here on this really amazing, glorious, historic day as we celebrate truly the greatest day in history. By the way, that's no hype because what took place today is a game changer, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have been uh, praying and believing that today life change could take place. Because of the cross and the resurrection, all things have been changed. He overcame our sin, he overcame our shame and he's wrapped his robe of righteousness around us. I'm so thankful to the Lord that we can live victorious. Aren't you so thankful that he paid that cruel price for us so we could be reconciled with God today? It's exciting. Thank you, Lord. Just when we thought it was almost not gonna happen, three days later, three days later, he overcame. and gives us the victory. Now I realize that on a day like this, like really any other Sunday that we gather together, as victorious and exciting as it can be, I realize that there are people here today whose lives are broken, dreams are shattered, Real, uh, relationships are falling apart. Souls are aching today. And today I want to declare to you the goodness of the Lord in your life this morning. I want to read a verse to you this morning. When you read this verse, it is going to blow your socks off, so you hold on to your socks this morning. It is so incredible, it's so unbelievable that when we read this verse, you're going to go, is that even possible this morning? It's found in Colossians chapter 1. You don't need to turn there because that's not our main verse this morning. But uh, in Colossians chapter 21, there's a statement made there that just literally, I, I was reading it this week and I thought, oh my goodness, is that, is that really true? Could that really happen? And it's found in Colossians. I think someone took it out of my Bible. It used to be here. Last night, here it is. I, okay, you ready? Like, are you ready for this? I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Colossians 1.27, it says to them, God is chosen to make known among, among the Gentiles. Now, for a long time, the mysteries of God were really, it seemed like reserved for the Jews. And so now it's been open to the Gentiles. In other words, it's for the whole world. Okay, it's for the whole world, I love this. God has chosen, okay, like he chose to do this for us. It says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Now what's the mystery? What is he choosing to reveal to us? Are you ready? Lean in, ready? This is the mystery, Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory resides in you. That's the mystery that has now been revealed to the world that Christ, the hope of glory resides in you. This is revolutionary because really when we think of God, don't we often think that he's kind of up there looking things over from a distance or maybe he's over on the side there on the sidelines looking at you. But what we're told here is that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. To me, that's crazy talk. It's unbelievable. I can hardly fathom that truth. It almost blows my mind out that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. With that, let's just pray. Father, this morning, oh, so thankful for this day. So thankful for what you accomplished on our behalf. When we were helpless and hopeless, you stepped in. And Lord, thank you. When you went to that cross, you had us on your mind. And Lord, you took upon yourself our sin. The one who knew no sin took upon us our sin. And then Lord, when most people thought the story was over, the most incredible, unbelievable event happened you raised yourself from the dead proving to all the world that you have the power over life and death and we celebrate that this morning lord we pray that in the next few minutes that we will sense your presence with us lord open our eyes to grab a fresh glimpse of who jesus christ is this morning we pray this in jesus name amen over the past year, I've been reading the Bible with a new set of lenses. I don't mean like new glasses. I mean my mind has shifted a little bit over this last year as I've been reading through the Bible. I used to read the Bible, and I still kind of do this a lot, but I read the Bible and I would say, now what does this have to say to me? What do, What is this all about? Like, what are the three steps that I have to do to have a better life? What are the seven steps to be a more successful person in life? I read the Bible as though it was all about me. And then this last year, I've been really challenged uh, in my thinking. I mean, there's really been a fundamental switch in my head as now when I read through these stories of the Bible, I'm like, okay, what does this say about Jesus? Like, how is this pointing people to Jesus? Now, on a day like today, right, it would be normal that we would um, specifically look at the resurrection story. Because, you know, honestly, that story never grows old. From the day that it was first told, it has never grown old. It's still just as powerful as the first day that it was told. However, if every story in the Bible is to point people to Jesus, if every passage of Scripture points to the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life, we can open up the Bible anywhere and be able to see who Jesus really is through the person and work of Jesus lives continue to be radically changed over these last couple thousand years since he lived among us. And I want to look at a story this morning from the Bible that demonstrates the power of an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, or an electronic device if you brought them along. We're gonna look at John chapter four. John chapter four this morning. And while you're turning there, let me just tell you what's, uh, what's happening here in John chapter four, I'll give you a little bit of background before we dive into reading this passage of scripture. By the way, for some of you, this will be a very familiar story, and others, maybe this will be the first time you've ever heard it. Whatever category that you may fall in this morning. I really believe, like I really believe, God is a word for all of us. So here in, in John uh, chapter four, Jesus is gaining in popularity. Word is spreading that there's a man. He's like a man, but he's so different than than the normal men that I've ever met. Uh, word is spreading from town to town, village to village, that there's this man named Jesus, and he's so different than everyone else that I've ever met. And of course, rumors are even flying, right? Uh, Some rumors are true, some rumors aren't true. In fact, we're gonna look at some religious rumors that are spreading around about him. So as as this momentum is building in his ministry, as he's gaining some traction, you would think this is the time to declare his candidacy that he is the savior of the world. This is the time to let everybody know. This is the time to get that front page in the Jerusalem Chronicle. This is the time to rent that billboard on the Jericho Highway. This is the time to launch your Facebook page. This is the time to have uh, blitz the social media. This is the time to hashtag, I'm the savior of the world. Strike the iron while it's hot. But we're gonna find out Jesus actually walks away from all that, which is so strange to me when i read about it in fact if you're there john chapter 4 you can follow along uh, as i read john chapter 4. we'll just start with the first couple of verses there it says the pharisees heard that jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than john although in fact it wasn't it wasn't even jesus who was baptizing but it was his disciples and when the Lord learned of this, he left. He left Judea and went back on his way to Galilee. So when all this debating is going on, when church people and leaders are debating, like, who's baptizing more? I mean I mean, can anybody baptize more people than John? John's the one that has the nickname, John the Baptizer." And now there's church rumors going around being spread that there's actually Jesus is actually baptizing more. Rumors are flying in church. Now, of course, it's not even a true rumor because what we discovered, Jesus is not even the one baptizing it's his disciples, but that never stops anybody from spreading rumors what the truth is, right? And so here's, Jesus is gonna walk away from this and his numbers are being hammered out and statisticians are being hired to figure out what is the latest stats. Jesus decides, you know what, I'm not gonna stick around. I'm not sticking around for this uh, conversation. While you religious people wanna argue amongst yourself, I feel like there's a higher calling. Jesus says, on my life. And he says, I have some people that I need to meet. And then look it up in verse four, in chapter four. It says, now he had, this is Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. When does Jesus have to do anything? Let's be honest. Like, when does Jesus have to do anything? But it says he had to go. I mean, Jesus, like, he's God. He's a creator of the universe. He makes the rules. Why does it say he had to go to Samaria? So what's so important in Samaria? Like, who's in Samaria that Jesus has to go? Uh, Does he have to do a little bit of networking? Does he owe a bill he's got to pay for? Has he been invited to some TV show to, to be a guest on? Like, what would cause Jesus to go to Samaria? Because honestly, these are the people that in this day would have considered as the ones that live on the other side of the tracks. Like, you know, we don't like to have anything to do. with That's what the Jewish people thought. You know, sort of uh, like the untouchables. You know, maybe you, you remember growing up when your parents would say to you, now listen, you're fine to go over this part of town, but I don't wanna see you over in that neighborhood. That neighborhood is trouble. On my street, uh, there was a family. I don't know if I should even say their name because I think our services are like will be on the internet. I'll change them to save the innocent. So we lived here. We had a Christian family that lived next door, and then there was the Bailey family. Oops, I said their real name, sorry. Um, there was the Bailey boys. Oh, 10, 12 years old, 14 years old, banned from every store, every shopping mall, they were trouble. Like you would, parents would say, no, I don't, You know, be nice, but I don't want you hanging out with those kind of people. And this is exactly really the same kind of attitude that the Jewish people would have had toward the Samaritans. In fact, Jews, just so they wouldn't have to interact with Samaritans, would rather walk 50 miles around that town to get to where they're going, just so they don't have to interact with Samaritans. Imagine, imagine if the residents of Kamlaki—what is that? About 15 minutes from anybody here from Kamlaki? Okay, I'll tread easily. So, just imagine the residents of Kamlaki want to go to Port Huron, but they do not like the people of Sarnia. Okay, and they're like, okay, I need to get to Port Huron, but The closest way to get to Port Huron is through Sarnia, but I don't like those people. I would rather drive all the way to Windsor, take the bridge over to Detroit, take the 94 up to Port Huron, do my shopping, go back to Detroit, cross over to Windsor, and come the back route. That's what the Jewish people did. Just so they wouldn't have to. That's the kind of stuff that they were doing in in Jesus' day. Um, There's more than just a, a simple rivalry going on between... Samaria and the Jews. It's more than just a high school rivalry. It's far greater than a Toronto Maple Leafs rival against the Montreal Canadiens. This rival, this hatred has been going on for generations. In fact, it's a lot like the Hatfields and McCoys. They're not killing each other, but they really don't like each other. And yet it says Jesus, a Jew, had to go to Samaria like had to go to Samaria. This statement makes me wanna perk up and go find out why. Why does Jesus have to go to Samaria? I mean, it would be like Stephen Harper saying, I have to go to Justin Trudeau's house for coffee. Like these things just don't happen, right? (laughs) Well, this is true about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, so of course, It intrigues me to find out why Jesus had to go to Samaria. Well, let's keep reading. So in verse 5, it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. It's noon. Back then the day started at six in the morning, so six hours later it's noon, it's the heat of the day. And, and I love the fact that it says that Jesus was tired. I actually do because it makes me realize, you know, he can relate to us. Even though he, he's totally God, he's also totally man. And so here Jesus, the human Jesus, is just worn out. It's hot, he's tired, and he sits down, which says he can relate to us when we're tired, frustrated, burned out. Jesus knows exactly how we're feeling. He sits down and he waits for someone. He waits for someone. Jesus doesn't stop in Samaria for a water break. He's there specifically to meet somebody and he's gonna use the well this Jacob's well as a prop to teach and to open the eyes of a woman who's gonna show up at the well. Who is this woman that God in the flesh would wait on her? Think about that. Jesus, God in the flesh, sits down by a well, and waits for a woman to show up. The creator of the universe waits for this woman to show up. I say to myself all the time, who are we that God would wait on us? When we're running around, doing all of our things that we wanna do, and he waits patiently on us. The creator of the universe. Then it says, when a Samaritan, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. If the Jewish people had seen what was taking place, this would have this been like horrific. They would have been horrified by all of this, what is going to take place, uh, what is happening. A Jewish man, first of all, talking to a strange woman, a woman that's not even his wife, Okay, he's in Samaria, that's bad. He's, now he's talking to a strange woman that he doesn't know and she's a Samaritan woman. This is the kind of stuff that gets on the front cover of the National Enquirer, okay? Like this is scandalous what is taking place here. Any Jewish person would have been horrified by the sight and it says he sits down with the woman so he can have a talk with her. In fact, Let's continue reading. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Uh, you're a Jew. Like you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So there's Jesus all by himself at the well. And a conversation strikes up. By the way, this is the longest conversation that is recorded for us in scripture between Jesus and somebody. We don't even know this person's name. That's just a lady at the well. The disciples have gone. They went to order Chick-fil-A, I think. They're gonna come back a little bit later into the story. And he says to her, would you give me a drink? And she says, Why are you asking me that? People like you don't ask unless you want something. What is it you want from me? I I think when she asked that question, like I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, why are you even asking this question? What do you want from me? In fact, I think when we study a little more of her life through this chapter, we're gonna realize there's been people taken from her all of her life. It's a natural question, what do you want from me? What are you going to take from me? This conversation goes on. By the way, God doesn't want to take things from you. He wants things for you. And here's this woman. She's coming to the well with her bucket. Right? Something that she's done probably for years and years and she comes at noon why because of the heat of the day she knows nobody's gonna be there that's why she's chosen I think she's probably got a pass that she's uh, afraid that anybody might expose and so I'll show up at noon when nobody's there He's, she's not looking for any encounter by the way uh, she's not looking to have any conversation with anybody she's not looking to make friends That's why she came at noon, because nobody would be there. That's why she chose the lunch hour. It's too hot for people to walk to the well. She's not looking to see have her life changed. She just wants to get some water. And as she's approaching, there's a man sitting by the well. He has no bucket. She's got a bucket. And he says to her, would you give me a drink? I think, she, first of all, I was very confused because she, she knows this is not a normal conversation. Maybe he wants more from me than what I'm willing to give. I think she probably might have been taken back by it. Maybe, maybe even nervous that a Jewish man is even talking to her. There's nobody around. What do you suppose he wants from me? He says to her, let's continue reading. The Samaritan woman, verse nine says, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. You know what Jesus is saying? Do Do you know who I am? Like, do you know who I am? If you knew who I was, you would have actually asked me for a drink. If you knew who I was. She, of course, has no idea who this man is by the well. Um, She's just trying to sneak over there, get her stuff, and go back home. And then Jesus starts this conversation about drinking water from a well. She went to the well. I love how one pastor put it. She went to the well with a bucket. And she met a well who didn't need a bucket. He's there going to use the well as a prop. Who is this woman? Like, who is this woman that God would wait on her? Well, let's continue the conversation. In verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water that you're talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. She, she's dialoguing and she goes, are you, um, are you saying that you're greater than Jacob? Like, you know, he's one of the patriarchs. Like, he's in my ancestry. Are you, th- are you suggesting that you're greater than him? You ever wonder what Jesus is thinking when people ask those kind of questions? I'm just thinking he wants to say, yeah, well, I created him. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little greater than him. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that to her. What he says... Everyone who takes your bucket and dips out of Jacob's well is going to be thirsty again. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Everyone who drinks from this well may be satisfied for a short period of time, but you'll be thirsty again. The bucket that you have, ma'am, that you put down deep into that well, the water that you've been drinking for years, that keeps causing you to come back, time and time and time again. You know it doesn't quench your thirst. I don't have to convince you of that. That's why you keep coming back here, day after day, month after month, year after year. And there's this conversation going on, and uh, I just feel like Jesus say, "Ma'am, uh, you've been going to Jacob's well for years, and you're still thirsty." And that's why she said, well, then, sir, give me, give me. Like, what is it? I don't know if she thinks it's a magical water. I don't know what she's thinking, but whatever it is that would not cause me to have to come back to this well over and over again, that's what I want. And that's what she's asking for. And then Jesus says, I, it just seems like there's been a, a, a I don't know, a, a switch of conversation, like it's going in one direction. And then all of a sudden Jesus says um, to the woman in verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and bring him here. Like, there's this conversation. It seems like out of nowhere, Jesus brings up her husband. And at first you're reading, go, oh, isn't that a nice invitation? Isn't that nice that he would want to include the whole family in this conversation? <laughs> you know, bring John, bring Bill. Come on, bring him over. We'll continue the conversation. And um, she responds, well, um, I... Um, actually, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right, you don't. You have five ex-husbands, but you don't have a husband now. And the man that you are living with is not your husband. Your friend with benefits that you're living with is not even your husband. I think she's been embarrassed by that. I think she's been trying to hide that for a long time. Oh, I think there's some people that know about it. But that's why she comes at noon. So she doesn't have to be in this kind of conversation. She doesn't have to be exposed by what has made up her life. But Jesus goes a little bit deeper. And this conversation is going on. Like I said, this is the longest conversation that have recorded for us. We don't know the woman's name. Of course, the purpose of the story is not that we would know the woman's name, it's that we would know who Jesus is, by the way. Jesus came seeking this woman. This woman did not come seeking for Jesus. He came seeking for you. The creator of the universe, I believe, comes seeking for you too. He comes seeking for you as well. The woman says, well, let's actually continue on the story here. In 17, it says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, yeah, you're right, you're right when you say that, you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just, what you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you are a prophet. (laughs) It makes me chuckle. I don't know if she's just trying to change the subject. Oh, you're such a nice man. I like your suit. Let's not talk about my life anymore. Let's talk about you. That's what I feel like, she's ha- what's happening here. Let's change the topic. Get all the attention off of, off of me. And it says here, she asks the question, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The woman says, um, well, let's keep on reading, actually. It says, um, believe me, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain all this to us. I think it's kind of hilarious. She says, I I know there's somebody coming. We've all been looking for the Messiah, the Christ. I'm like, oh, my goodness. She's talking right to him. And she has no idea. She has no idea what is taking place here. And why she brings up this, you know, how, you know, how we should worship here and how you people worship there. Kind of reminds me when churches have this big dialogue, how they worship at their church and how we worship at our church. And we, we got our Pentecostal worship. We got the Baptist worship. We got the Anglican worship. And we get so distracted by all of that. And I, I, just like Jesus is just kind of bringing it right back. Just get back to the main thing. And then he says, Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Now you can just imagine that. Just imagine that. She's talking along. We know. We've been waiting. We've been talking about it. As a little girl, I heard that there was somebody coming, a Messiah, a Christ would come one day. We're waiting. And when he comes, he'll explain it all to us. And then all of a sudden he says to her, the one who's speaking, that's who you've been waiting for your whole life. Stands in front of you. I'm the one, he says. I'm the well that you will never thirst again from. What your husbands, your five husbands, could not do for you, I can do for you. I'm the one who can satisfy your soul. I'm the one who's willing to give you water from a well that never runs dry. And the water that I give will quench your thirst look back at 14 we read it earlier i didn't comment on this in verse 14 it says in the latter uh, latter part indeed the water i give him will become in him a spring of living water it kind of makes a reflection back to uh colossians 127 in him the hope of glory in christ the hope of glory resides in us You know, I think um, sometimes we get so focused on all the things that are happening around us, we miss what's right in front of us. This woman is just, is, thinks that the whole conversation is just about her bucket and about getting water. Um, she gets sidetracked and, and brings up all kinds of other things. Again, I wanna ask the question Who is this woman? Who is this woman that God would wait on her? And who are you and I that God would wait on us? You know, sometimes we have this, a bucket in our hands, and we go, well, I have this bucket, and it just doesn't seem to be satisfying me. So maybe, maybe what I need to do is just trade in my bucket That's probably the problem. And so what happens, we put this bucket down, and we go looking for a new bucket. I think a new husband will fix that. Or maybe a new girl under my arm. And you walk around with that bucket, and it seems to be just like the other bucket. It didn't didn't satisfy me. I thought it was going to. That's why I got a new bucket. That's why I traded in my bucket. And so what happens, we put this bucket down, and we say, I got to get another bucket. You know what I need? I think if I fill my bucket with money, that's going to satisfy me. You know, I'm just going to have it so it just kind of falls over the side so much. And, And you have this bucket full of money. And you're on your way, and honestly, it probably does make you happy for a little bit. But after a while, it's just like, this bucket doesn't seem to do what I thought it was gonna do for me. So you know what you do? We put the bucket down, we say, I'm gonna trade in for another bucket. We go home, we get another bucket. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna fill this bucket with lots of pleasure. If I can have a lot of pleasure, I know I'll get satisfied. And so we go around and some of us go around for years with a bucket of pleasure. We think things are going well. And then what happens as time goes, the pleasures that once seemed to make me so satisfied hmm, don't seem to quench the thirst that I had. Oh, it must be time to trade in my bucket. And we go and we get another bucket. And some they say, you know what, I'm gonna maybe it's you know sexual fantasies, maybe it's things like that that I need that will kind of bring me some, some spark in my life. Or, you know, maybe I just need to be better at what I do. Maybe I just need to get rid of all the bad stuff and I'll just be really good and then that will satisfy. The problem is the problem is not it's not the bucket, it's what's going in the bucket. And so Jesus is saying, ma'am, you've been going to the wrong well. And so what you're putting in your bucket can only satisfy for such a short amount of time. But he's saying, I want to offer you something that's different. I want to fill your bucket with something that you'll never thirst again. You won't have to trade in your bucket ever again. Because what's going to go in your bucket when you drink from the well that never runs dry, that will quench your thirst. That's what I want to talk to you about. Who is this woman that God would wait on her? And who are we that God would wait on us? Why, we're running around. <laughs> I got this bucket. I'm going to go fill this bucket. And we play around and we grab this bucket. I'm going to do this. Oh, and then that doesn't work. And I grab this bucket and there's God just waiting on us. I I do, I, I feel like we do all this activity and God just waiting by the well, just waiting to let you know there's more to life than running around, filling your bucket. How many buckets are we gonna go through? before we realize that it only leaves you wanting more. See, it's not really about the bucket, is it? It's about the well we're going to. He sits down with a woman. He talks with her. Hmm. Talks about the bucket. And her life, by the way, is very complicated. I love that. She doesn't have a like a real clean scorecard. She's very complicated life. She's I have no husband. And Jesus looks beyond all that, the complications of her life. I'd like to know how many people here are drilling in the wrong well. How many people here? are going to the wrong well to satisfy your life. You know some of you here this morning, if you're honest, you are not satisfied. You're not. You may be very religious, but you're not satisfied. You may be very popular, but you're not satisfied. You may have the gift to make lots and lots of money, but you're not satisfied you're going to the wrong well Jesus had to go to Samaria he had to meet with this woman this woman needed an encounter with God and Jesus says to her I'm the one I am the one you have been looking for all of your life like it's me who is standing in front of you I'm the one I'm the one that you have been seeking. When you've been seeking pleasure all your life and satisfaction, I'm the one. I'm the one. And then when you continue to read, our, our time is gone, so, but if you were to continue to read the story, I, I find it amazing that she leaves her bucket by the well and she runs into town and she just tells everybody, I, I met somebody, like I, I met a man. I can't even explain it. Is it possible that he could be the Messiah? Like he just knew so much about me, and, and, and he's talking about how my life can be overflowing and, and, and that I never have to thirst again. Come, come and see. And, and you read through the rest of the story people came and, and they started believing. And, and in fact, scores of people from Samaria came to hear this Jewish man, and they began to believe. And as I hear, read that, I'm so encouraged. But you know why it encouraged me? Because don't you ever think that your past will keep God from using you. And some of us are convinced that God can't use us because of our past. Here's a woman who doesn't want to to know, but she's been married five times. She, all those marriages have been messed up. I'm living with a man now. And God uses her. Like God uses her to go in the town and tell people, Next week, actually, I'm starting a a new series called Flawed. The Bible is filled with flawed people that God uses. By the way, our church is filled with flawed people. I may be the cheek guy, flawed, and yet God can use us. She says, I met a man. I've been to the well. Now we know why Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to go. There was a woman in need of an encounter with God. And some of you here today are in need of an encounter with God this morning. That's why he came to earth. (laughs) That's why he lived among us. That's why he suffered that cruel death. That's why he hung on a cross. That's why they buried him in a grave. That's why he rose again. He is risen. So we could drink from that well. So our sins could be forgiven, the burden lifted, and you can breathe again. That's Jesus. And that's who we celebrate today. Let's pray. With our heads bowed, eyes closed I just want to ask you a question have you been digging in all the wrong wells have you been digging in all the wrong wells have you been looking in all the wrong places to be satisfied Jesus came to quench your thirst I want to offer to you today, the Bible says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That, that hungering for satisfaction can be met. So in the quietness of this moment, I want to challenge you for those who only know things about God and about Jesus, but you don't know Him personally. I'm gonna challenge you. Right there where you are in your seat. Would you pray, Lord? I know, I know I'm a sinner. I've been looking in all the wrong places. And I know you're the one who actually can satisfy my thirst. God, I want to thank you for just dying on the cross for me. In your seat, you can pray that. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Would you come in? Would you come in and quench the thirst that I've had for so long? Would you come in and change my life and make it new again? The Bible says if we would pray and call upon Jesus, our lives can be radically changed and it can be changed today.